0: You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and we have another fabulous guest. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Paru Radia. Paru is a rare commodity. Most people fall into one camp as either left-brained or right-brained. Paru, however, has always mixed her logical side with her creative side to thrive while navigating challenging environments, whether it be in the corporate world or as a founder and entrepreneur. Becoming a C-suite whisper and execution ninja was a natural path for Paru as she has been understanding of the corporate world, having been an, an employee and a consultant. Known for being a pragmatic optimist and turning entrepreneurial ideas into successful companies, including her own entrepreneurial ventures, Peru launched her company to help executives at various stages and points in their career to accurately assess their mindset, patterns, behaviors, strengths, success criteria, development needs, understand who they really are, articulating what they really want, and creating a specific action plan to achieve their desired results. Her new book, Messes Behind Successes, is targeted to be released at the end of 2024. Welcome to the show, Peru. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much um I'm really interested to hear more about your journey and so I always like to give guests right from the beginning to talk a little bit more about your story and a lot of times with guests when they talk about their story they'll bring me way back in childhood or you might bring me later on anywhere on that trajectory to tell
1: us a little bit more about your story. Oh thank you um so very briefly from, the, I will start from the beginning, um, born and raised in London, England, to, um, as part of a conservative Indian family, um, went to school, always knew what the expectations of me were in terms of career, um, behavior, marriage, etc. cetera. And um, I, I, mean, I went to school in London, I went to university in London, Started my corporate career at British Airways. Um, always, always loved the company from afar. Um, I had very um, good impressions of British Airways as a place to work, and and I won't lie, the lifestyle really appealed. Knowing that I could have easy access to the rest of the world was <laughs> very appealing. Um, I did my degree in human resources and. Um, I always, because of my upbringing, I didn't know who I would marry, where they would be, in which country they would be in. So I intentionally um, chose to get post-grad training in something that was transferable. Like intentionally, I didn't want to be a lawyer or a doctor, not only because I didn't want to anyway, but in my mind, I was thinking, well, if I end up moving country, I'm going to have to requalify, and I don't want to go through all that again what can I do that's transferable? So I started in procurement. Um, quickly realized that I was at the de- end of the decision life cycle. And I would sit there thinking, wait, I need to buy this. Who made that decision? <laughs> like, when did this get made? Um, so I remember asking, well, I mean, people would say to me that, Paru, um, you can't give your opinion at this point, you just need to, it's been approved by brands and legal and the unions and customer service. If you wanted to have an opinion, you should have joined product or service development. I'm like, well, that's where I'm going to go. Um, So I moved to product and service development. Lots to share about that in terms of change management, et cetera. Anyway, fast forward, I'm the kind of person I'm the kind of person who's very reflective and I often think about what am I good at? Where are the skills gaps? What do I need to do about it? I've always had that way of thinking. And who am I and where do I want to be? Every summer, which is when my birthday is, and every Christmas, I would reevaluate my answers to those questions. And that's been something I've done from a young age. Um, Fast forward a few more years, I'd hit a bit of a glass ceiling and my mentality is I either want to be learning or earning, preferably both. I didn't technically have have the opportunity to get a raise at this point just because of the corporate environment and the band's within which you fit. And British Airways have this, um, had, I'm sure they still do, had this unsaid philosophy that you don't get promoted on merit. You don't get a raise on merit. You only get a raise when you get a bigger job. Mm. But, you know, but you have lifers at British Airways. So someone has to retire or decease, which is awful, <laughs> for that position to become available. And... Um, then anyway again fast forward I had a project at JFK which meant I was flying into New York every three weeks or so 10 months later when the project ended that's when I realized how in love with New York City I was Mm -hmm. and how in love with who I was able to be in New York Mm -hmm. that I was Um, So I had my set on New York for a while, but due to the conservative nature of my upbringing and family, New York was always a absolutely not, no way Jose, cannot, will not, do not, don't even think about it. Three years later, Kristen, my love affair with New York was still strong. It wasn't a crush. It wasn't a a minor, isn't that cute. I was head over heels in love with the idea. And much to the dismay of my family, I decided that I would find a job in New York that was going to be doing something that I'd never done before. That was the whole learning aspect. And I was going to move. And I made that decision on the 28th of February, 2007, Mm. started telling everyone that I came across that I'm moving. I had no idea what I'd be doing and how right. I'd get there. And yes. I told everyone I was moving, which is fantastic because with that much passion and excitement, I'd I I developed I developed a, like groups of people that were in on it with me and they wanted this dream to come true for me and they connected me to people, they helped me with interviews, they advised me on what it takes to move legally and financially. Um, and 2007, I'm um, sorry, that was 2007. So July 2nd, 2007, which was only March, April, May, June, that was only four months later. I was on a one way ticket to New York with wow. hand. Wow. Um, yeah. So, well, that it took to um, This is sounding like a bit of a monologue. I'm so sorry, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners really love to get
0: to know people's stories so they they're hearing your story and thinking where do i want to live and where how am i holding myself back from living somewhere
1: oh um thanks um so i'll rest I'll, because i can stayed at british airways for another two years realized that for any promotional opportunity you have to move back to london want to do um i'm still in love with everything i came here for And um, they had mass redundancies, I opted for severance. I had my green card by then. Uh, I do come from a family of entrepreneurs, decided mutually uh, that I would start my own business because I secretly wanted to do that anyway, once I had the corporate experience. Um, My dad and my brother helped me open up a franchise of the UK family business. Um, but I didn't realize I signed up for having a chairman and an investor that would tell me what to do and veto all my decisions. Um, so after two years, I'm like, yeah, this isn't for me. Entrepreneurship is, but this business isn't for me. So I gave it back to them. Kristen, it was like doing a live MBA. I made miss We, we, I made mistakes. It cost a lot of money. Things went wrong. Um, I'm also ultra-organized and ultra-analytical. So I took notes throughout the journey. I created templates throughout the journey. I created flow flow charts throughout the journey. And I said to them at the end of two years, I've had this other business idea, It's this watch thing. Um, My brother actually noticed it first, and I'm the one that developed the idea. And I said, I'm going to go and do this. Oh, my goodness, Kristen, it was a whole lot of don't do it. You're an idiot. It'll never work. Go back to corporate. We're not going to fund you. We're not going to support you. Um, Friends thought I was crazy. They're like, no, you're built for corporate. Do that. I'm like, "Mm." and by the way, Kristen, I'm the kind of person that when someone tells me what not to do something, I'm not the kind of person that says, screw it, I'm going to do it because you told me not to. Just watch. I'm not that person. I'm the kind of person that says, tell me why. Right. Tell me what, tell me, tell me what your concern is. Tell me what you think I should do to mitigate that. Tell me what. And I like digging deep and then I will go away and think about it. Right. And regardless of whether they said do it or not, do what I think is best. Right. And what I thought was best was to move ahead with this idea. I knew I could make something of it. Um, I was cut off. Very little support from friends, no support from the family. Um, Those were two of the hardest years of my life, quite frankly, on reflection. Um, Those were the years where I was ordering pizza pies to last three days because I couldn't afford salad from the grocery store. It was tough. Um, Fast forward 18 months into the Endeavor. My watches were in 400 stores across the U.S. Fast forward another six months, I was bought out by private investors for a decent profit. Wow. I had a very wonderful in your face moment with the naysayers, which only lasted about five seconds before I was like, oh my god, I can't believe it, can't believe it, can't believe it. Um to be honest, I was um I was so um I was I was still on adrenaline and that drive was still pushing me so i don't really think i realized until 2 years after selling that what i did considering the circumstances was a really big deal
0: right you're just in it you're just in it taking yeah. action you just you're not silly back over
1: here watching cuz it's all happening Correct. so quickly mhm yeah um and when i so i was sitting on a little bit of money enough to not have to get a job straight away but think about what I wanted to do next while I was doing that I was helping lots of friends and friends of friends consulting for them not realizing I was consulting for them and helping them with their business ideas and the way they thought and what they were doing and sharing my templates again fast forward a little bit I'm like oh they're making a lot of money based on my advice I'm really happy for them yes but maybe this could be a thing Get paid for doing this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I did some research on how to do that. Realized I still had skills missing in order to start my own consulting firm. So um, I did some fractional work as a COO for a couple of firms. Mm-hmm. And then I became an employee of a um, boutique consulting firm as their full time COO. Mm. While I was doing that, not only was I learning um, what it takes to run a consulting firm, which is what I wanted to, I was growing that company and building a ton of good relationships with with corporate clients. Um, I, I loved that job because it really took my startup side because it was a small firm and melded it with my corporate side, which I loved. I love the course, yeah. um, including the politics, because I was always really good at navigating them. <laughs> right. We're going to talk about um, that after. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm almost at 2023. Um, so that was, uh, I joined them in 20, I think it was 2018. I st- 2017 I started, um, 2017, 2018, did that for a while. And Kristen, while I was there, due to my nature and just how I think and who I am, if I see a problem and I can see a possible solution, I won't keep quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I will say something. And it became very common for me to knock on the door of a senior executive, um, I'm talking managing partner of a Wall Street law firm, I'm talking COO, CEO of other firms, knock on the door and say, hello, Permission to speak freely and they look at me like what and I'll say I've made some observations that have nothing to do with why you've hired us I have however made some observations and noticed xyz and I have a few ideas if you're open to listening to them and because of the way I phrased it and the way I approached it and acknowledged that I mean I, I it doesn't matter whether they take it or not but I have ideas do they want to hear them it's going to help them out um Never did I get a no. And then I would give them advice and they would often look at me with who the hell are you and why why are you telling me this? And I was quite, I I would say I was quite friendly pushy with it Mm. and they would listen. I was able to influence them and they, they would do it. And then that would be followed up with a random phone call or a random knock on my office door saying, how did you know that would happen? And it turned into a bit of a thing where people started asking for me on projects, even though that wasn't my job. I was there for relationship building. I was there to run the company. I wasn't there to be on the client site, even though I would do it once in a while. And then when you get three to four clients keep telling you, if you did this for a living, I'd pay you," you. You kind of think, what could that look like? Um, So I started my business doing executive strategy, which is helping executives think better, be better, Um, and also helping people, you know, consulting, starting your business, growing your business, um, communicating better. And I started that in early 2020. And here we are. I'm doing that. It's 2023.
0: Wow, so many observations I have to make around what you shared there. I mean, I love that. um, I love your self awareness in terms of you always recognizing, yes, I have these strengths, these are my zone of genius, but this is what I can do to complement that this is where there might be gaps, and then actually go out there and take action on those ways to be able to close the gaps. I also really appreciated your, it felt like some self-trust, but it was also mixed in with, I'm going to ask like, yeah, I'll hear what you have to say. Now I'll take what you have to say. I'll be thoughtful around it. There is perhaps some insight, you know, anyone who's sharing with you around concerns that I will take at face value, but then you explore and take it and then decide and make it your own in terms of the decision around what feels best for you, which I think that takes a lot of it takes a lot of courage it takes. And then the other word that's just coming up for me is a self-trust, which I kept hearing that along your journey. Like there was a lot of self-trust going to New York. This is what makes me happy. Even though again, other people might've thought it was the wrong thing, starting your business and reckon and having a lot of people saying that's not possible. Um, how do you think you built, built that self-trust muscle?
1: it was a reflex to always being told what to do and how to be and who to be. Mm. I've done it because I've been asked this question a few times and I didn't know. So I dug deep, but like I said, I grew up in, and that's why I actually said at the beginning, I grew up in a conservative household. I've always been told who to be and how to be. And when it pushes you into a corner, you know, cause you listen and you listen and I was the good girl. I was obedient, but when it feels so, So uncomfortable you question wait why does it feel uncomfortable and me just saying no wasn't working with my family or me resisting it wasn't working I had to come up with a better solution that Mm. they would also buy into Mm. and the only way I would come up with that solution is by digging deep and thinking who am I what do I want why don't I want that how Mm. do I respond when this happens how do they respond when that happens I was so analytical about human behavior Which is what actually taught me the skills to help executives because I've been doing the work since I was four. Mm
0: -hmm. So Mm
1: -hmm. um, that's where it comes from. And just the evidence over the years that when I've done this, this is when it's gone well. When I haven't, when I've listened to other people, it hasn't gone well. When I've listened to me, it has. And by the time it came to make the really big decisions, like moving to New York, I had over 30 years of evidence that I make good decisions. Right, right, right. It's like
0: you had being also analytical. It's like you had enough data to support that. Yes, it makes sense that this is the right decision. Um, Love that. I want to circle back to what you said around the company politics, because it's a one I see I hear not with all leaders, but it's a specific type of leader that I work with where I feel like they're very values driven. And with that, they somehow uh, feel like if they're in integrity, then they don't have to deal with politics. And we help to like unwrap and unhook from that story. It's like, no, it's just, you're working with a bunch of humans who all have different agendas. And that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's just understanding that and recognizing that more. So I heard you saying that you found it um, something you actually excelled at when it comes to navigating, those corporate politics. So for leaders who are listening, who number one might even say they might identify and say, I struggle with the politics. Like if I had my way, I would just, and actually to take it a step further, where I notice um, the leaders struggle with those politics more is when they're dealing with a certain kind of personality which feels like it might be one of the personalities that you said that maybe left you with from the franchise. It's when people are telling you what to do. But some of those, perhaps we could could describe them as perhaps some old school, old behaviors that might feel a little bit more toxic where it's more aggressive and being told what to do and they're having to play in these rooms. And it can be very difficult.
1: How would you suggest
0: they navigate that more effectively?
1: Um, so I work best in giving advice when I have a very specific scenario in hand. Could you yes. maybe make one up or tell me Absolutely. something yes. you've heard?
0: Yes. Yeah. So it might be one where uh, it could be a very, um, so it might be a senior leadership team, very male dominated senior leadership team. And this might be a female. And when she's going in there and trying to have conversations and trying to push things through Uh, might be getting a lot of pushback in terms of very aggressive, very reactive, um, very emotional kind of toxic behavior where there might be shouting and yelling and that's how they're going about getting to decisions. So not feeling like very conscious leadership, feeling like there's might be some unconscious behaviors happening.
1: Okay. So my first thing is, If you know that you're gonna go into a room and there's gonna be 10 people shouting at you, I would break this down. I wouldn't go into a room knowing that they're gonna be shooting at me. I would build individual relationships with each member of that team. And I would, okay, example, analogy here. You know when there are forest fires, wildfires, and they're completely out of control. The way they are managed is when the fire team will call them, burn the remaining fuel, the rest of the forest, so that when the wild bit catches up, there's no fuel left to burn. right. So similarly, if you if the, if you were the client, I would advise you to build relationships with these people whatever it is you want to present in in the session, go in in advance to understand what their concerns would be, what their pushback would be. What would you need to do in order to get a yes from them? Mm. And once you know all that, you've got buy-in from most of them mm. before before you're even in the room. I mean, I, I watched a bunch of political drama as well. And if you look at that, I mean, that's just coincidence. But you know how people say before before a race, like how many votes do we have? And they know the votes before the votes are actually yes. officially right. announced in the meeting? Yeah. It's the same it's the same methodology. Figure out who's on your side in advance of the public forum. And if they're not on your side, at least get the information or data to understand why so you can mitigate any risks or you can fix whatever the concern is before you're shot down. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's really good advice. And if we take it to another level where they might also be saying, well, how do I Build stronger interpersonal relationships one on one with some of these individuals. So maybe it's people who are very senior that they don't necessarily, it's hard to get in front of these people, might be one scenario. Or others might just be, well, this kind of personality is a little bit tougher for me. So I feel a bit intimidated around building that relationship. What what
1: advice would you give there? Um, So I'm going to separate those two one is having access, and one is the personality. Yes. Um, I'll speak to the personality first. And what I would say is never make it about you. Mm-hmm. Always make it about them. Mm-hmm. So what is their personality? What do they need? What makes them comfortable? What's their objective? What's their agenda? What's going to make them look good? What's going to make them feel good? All of that will get their barriers down. And I mean, we're all in survival mode. From caveman times, that hasn't left us, but what that looks like in 2023 is that people want to look good because people want to keep their jobs or they want to be liked, which then gives them a higher chance of keeping their jobs or they want to be seen to be doing a good job, which inadvertently keeps their job. That's all survival. So making it about the other person and getting to know what's important to them at a business level, Um, Are they trying to save money? Are they trying to get their project done? Are they trying to get more budget approved? Um, Whatever that is on a business level. And then personality-wise, take time observing them and analyzing their behavior. How do they, when do they respond positively? What happened for that to happen? When do they respond negatively? What happened for that to happen? There is enough data if you take the time to look at it. Mm -hmm. So... I would say make it about them because then once they do, that actually gives you an open door to say, Oh, well, if you need X, Y, and Z, I can help you with that. What I will need in return is A, B, and C. Yes. And it gives you that door, but make it about them first. If if you go in demanding, I want, I want, I need, I need, I mean, that's enough to annoy anybody.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, absolutely. I share this all the time because it's really, that's, a, that's, that's tapping into empathy, right? Because empathy is trying to understand what's going on in their world. And the more you ask those questions and get curious and come from that place, I like what you're saying as well, because the way you're using the, the, the I always say data or data, I go back and forth. My Canadian, I think, is data, U.S. data. <laughs> um, but I think what that does is there is, there are a lot of data points that can be being used, but they not people aren't necessarily recognizing all of those data points. So to be able to go back and look and see, I like what you said there too. Oh, what was an example where you even witnessed in a meeting where things that individual things did go really well, and they were well. What were other people doing differently in terms of the way they were interacting? I think that's yeah. um, that's a really really important call. Um,
1: there's something I want to add to that um, mm-hmm. with the with the way I with the way I believe humans work, and I help my clients with is so they've got the data points and um so most people will go up to for example a senior leader feeling really intimidated or paranoid or nervous that happens when you think you're being judged yes and that happens And by the way, know that rarely are you being judged because the other person is also feeling the same way (sighs) and most of their energy is being put on how they're being judged. That's why I'm saying if you make it about them, the only thing is the only way you can feel confident in yourself in order to make it about them is is owning who you are. But you can't own who you are until you know who you are. Mm -hmm. So whenever I work with clients, sure, if they've got a fire they need to put out, we'll go straight in. But I will always circle back to some really deep work I do with them and some exercises that I have, which is getting to know who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so you can own it. So if someone asks me to do something I'm not good at, sure, the younger version of me was like, oh, my God, they're going to hate me. Oh, my God, they're going to judge me. And I'm so awful at that. I now, with joy and big eyes, big smile, be like, oh, my God, I'm awful at that. But I am really good at this. Yeah, and I will own what I'm really bad at, and save us both some time. Yeah, and both some anxiety. Yeah. So, you know, I don't mean that in the British sense of let's be really humble and say, oh no, 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 it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's not. It's it's yeah. about really knowing yourself to a point that you can say, oh, I am really good at that. I'll take that for you. Or I'm not so good at that. Can we look at someone else to do it? Or can yeah. I have help?
0: I mean, we talk a lot about this on the show and and, and multi, multiple layers with what you just um, shared there, because one layer is really looking at understanding your gifts and your talents and what you do really well. And I talk even sometimes around the zone of genius and then the zone of excellence and then zone of competence and zone of incompetence, right? And how often people even stay in zone of excellence, but they don't really love that stuff, but they're good at it. And people keep giving it to them, but they don't even really enjoy it. So I think that's so important in terms of understanding who they are. But I think, and it sounds like you do this too. And I do this with my clients as well, which is taking it another layer, which is actually asking that question, like, who, who am I like really like understanding yeah. in terms of idiosyncrasies and what m- brings me joy and all of that kind of stuff, those deeper questions that my experience for a lot of the leaders that I work with, it's the first time that they really spent a lot of introspection asking themselves these questions. And even defining what's their definition of success, what actually is aligned for their purpose and their impact and all of these different questions. They haven't really asked themselves, they just kind of had this conditioning or following along what they think they should do or what they've been told should matter and what they're told they're supposed to be. But then when they actually slow, like slow it down and ask those deeper questions, they recognize Oh, like there's, there. sometimes we uncover so many beliefs that we're unconscious that are operating in the background that have been handed down to them that they don't even believe those things anymore, but they're still operating as if they do.
1: Exactly that. And I like breaking those, excuse me. I like breaking those down. I like, I like holding up that mirror and then I like opening the curtains and showing them what's out the window and opening the door and showing them what's in that direction and then showing them a map and saying, well, if you want what's out there, you can do this. And if you want what's out that window, you can do that. Um, Or you can stay where you are. But if you stay, I want it to be a conscious choice. I want you to want to do what you're doing. Yes, yes,
0: yes, exactly. There is something that you um, spoke about that I was very intrigued about, which is, Talking about um, to be the leader you want to be, that it's not just about why your why matters, but it's also <clears throat> until you um, until you know your who. So tell me more about yeah. that because I'm used to we hear you know the Simon Sinex of the world talking about what's your why. Yeah, but I love what you were talking about, and I'm very curious. Tell me more about the who.
1: I believe that you won't know your why until you know who you are deep down inside. You will try on, it's like trying on a bunch of different clothes. And you're like, oh, I think this looks good. I think this looks good. But they'll always, in my opinion, they'll always be something that does not fit just right. You know, it's a little tight under the armpit or it's a little snug at the waist, yeah. but it looks good enough. Yeah. And people are impatient. Today's world, instant you know, gratification. As yeah. soon as you think you found your why, you go with it. But you, you know what it's like, Kristen, when when you veer off by one degree it might not seem so much but further down the line you're so far away from where you were intending on being because your navigation was off by one degree I truly believe in being in sync with who you are so deep inside what experiences have you had what motivates you what triggers you don't Settle for what you think your why is. Know who you are and what made you who you are. And that will guide you to what your why is. And it will keep you grounded. It will keep you focused. It will stop you veering off by that one degree Mm. that other people might tempt you towards Mm. and say, oh, well, this is your why. This is similar to your why. Come do this. At least if you know who you are deep down, that's your north. that's your you know that's going to drive me crazy this is how I behave or this is how I operate or this is how I feel when something's not aligned you have to be so aligned for your why to mean anything yeah
0: Yeah. no I think it's a really important distinction that you share there and I think sometimes that step does get missed and it can explain a lot so your book um that is going to be out at the end of 2024 messes behind successes tell me a little bit more around the impetus for doing this book and you know what are some of the key themes that you talk about
1: um so when I was looking at starting my business I was um I hired a coach um so um and he gave me a bunch of books to read about the business world to um Sort of reinvigorate thoughts around um how people are and what they do etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Kristen I was so bored when I read most of these books. Most of these books are written by people who are Uber successful but they were born into success or you know their dad met someone on a golf course and then they were introduced to you know this kid who well they weren't really a kid they're maybe in their twenties or early thirties who then got funding relatively easily and then they write this book about oh yeah life was really tough look at me now I'm rich and famous and that used to drive me crazy it's well I'm happy for you I'm not one of these people who I'm not one of these people who gets unhappy when other people are successful I'm like yay how do we all get there (laughs) like show us how tell us how and then when I read their books there was no how it was always yay look at me now and really vague thoughts Mm -hmm. I wanted to put something together which had a lot of how how do you navigate a difficult conversation how do you think about what's really important how do you analyze x y and z why is that important and there are so many successful people out there and I don't mean the rich and famous ones I mean the regular really successful people who Mm -hmm on paper by the majority of the world are deemed successful. I mean, they just up and they didn't. That's not realistic. They had they had issues, they had challenges, and they learned how to navigate them. That's what I want to know about. That's what I want everyone else to know about. One, so they don't feel alone, as in the readers don't feel alone.
0: Wow.
1: Two, it normalizes messages because it's all about being real. And it gives them hopefully tangible things to say and do to be successful. So I've interviewed so many senior leaders talking about where they are today, but that's literally just an introduction. Really talking are moments where they were screamed at in a board meeting, or when they got fired, or when they had a toxic boss didn't have. And those are the things people need help with. not the I mean all the inspirational books yeah but I think most people need more of a how-to guide than just the inspiration yes yes yes
0: absolutely it's a that's the juicy stuff right you so so often when I'm I'm having a a CHRO or CEO on the, on the show, I will ask them, like, tell me about those difficult conversations. Tell me about those difficult moments, those learning, the failures. Um, and they all say like, that's where I learned so much about myself, so much about what I would and wouldn't tolerate, um, so much humility, all of these different, um, all, all these different qualities, but I think you're absolutely right. It's that you want to be able to have the tangible, How can I take what you're saying and be able to to practice and play with that, which is one of the things I love so much about coaching, because we'll talk about something and then they'll go and execute it and then it'll feel scary, uncomfortable. And sometimes some things work and some don't. But then they can come back and say, oh, my gosh, this worked really well or or this didn't. Oh, I think there might be some technical issues for a second. I'm I can. Can you hear me? Okay. I think we're having a technical issue for one second. So Peru was trying to talk and all of a sudden her volume went so she is going to come back in one second and hopefully be able to talk a little bit more um, about what we were just saying. Here she comes. Let's have a look. The beauty of technology, and I think she is coming back online. And let's see how the volume is.
1: Can you hear? I'm back. I hear you now. I'm I'm so sorry.
0: It just cut out. (laughs) The wonderful, the the wonderful intricacies of technology. Sometimes it really is working well, and sometimes not. But we are back here. So we were just in the moment um, talking about. Uh, do you remember exactly the where the juicy we're... stuff? Yes. Yes, the, eight yes. And the, juicy yes stuff. the juicy stuff, right? Because I think sometimes even where I've been on panels and the CHROs are like getting into, like, I think part of it is, yes, we want to hear about the tactical and what you're doing with your organization, but we also want to hear the human part. Like, tell us what it was like to be in your world. Tell us how you got to where you are. Tell us some of the very difficult conversations you had to get through. And I think sometimes that gets sugarcoated and just like, but here's where I am now. And we don't hear about that yeah. stuff on the journey, which is really, really important. Yeah, I agree. Um, so this, this conversation has been so fun. I feel like we could go into so many, I would want to go into all the different themes and topics in your book, but (laughs) we're going to give people an opportunity to do that when the book does come out, um, next year. And we'll, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk to them a little bit more around how they can even get on the, the presale list. Um, but I always like to give my, my guests an opportunity to leave our audience with a final thought, whatever is showing up for you in this moment as a final
1: thoughts. Um, My final thought is please, please, please do whatever it takes to spend some time alone and get to know yourself on a deep level. Not who you think you are, not who you once were, not where you want to be, but who you are today and how and why, and then what you can do with that. But take time, take time to get to know yourself.
0: It's, I think it's such a really, really important use of your time. And really, from my perspective, can be quite transformational. And I I can't tell you how many times that my goal has been to just help leaders carve out that time and make that something, that gift that they can give to themselves. Um, It can be huge. I think that's wonderful wisdom. Okay. So Peru, where can people learn more about you?
1: Thanks, Kristen. Um, My website, paruradia.com. So it's literally my first name, last name.com. On it, you will see other podcasts I've um, participated in. You'll see um, webinars that I've delivered. And you'll also, there's also a page for you to sign up um, for the list for when my book is published or the pre-sale is launched. You will be the first to hear about it. It's all on there, paruradia.com
0: amazing. And I'll make sure to include all of that in the show notes. Thank Thank you you. so much for being here today. Thanks, Kristen. I really appreciate the airtime. Thanks for listening to me in my monologue. (laughs) (laughs) You you shared tons and tons of wisdom. I know that everyone's going to get a lot out of it. And as always, wherever you are in the world, I'm saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.